just want to mention, Pastor Rod is not with us at this time. He's in the United States. That's why Nathan is bringing the word of God to us. Yes. John, the gospel according to John, from chapter, from, on chapter 8, from verse 1 to 11. But Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. Early in the morning, he came again to the temple. All the people came to him, and he sat down and taught them. The scribes and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in adultery, and placing her in the midst, they said to him, Teacher, this woman has been caught in the act of adultery. Now, in the law of Moses, in the law Moses commanded us to stone such women. So what do you say? This they said to test him, that they might have some charge to bring against him. Jesus bent down and wrote with his finger on the ground. And as they continued to ask him, he stood up and said to them, Let him who is without sin among you be the first to throw a stone at her. And once more he bent down and wrote on the ground. But when they heard when they heard it, they went away one by one, beginning with the older ones, and Jesus was left alone with the woman standing before him. Jesus stood up and said to her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? She said, No one, Lord. And Jesus said, Neither do I condemn you. Go, and from now on, sin no more. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, from verse 7 to 14. Verse 7. Now, if the ministry of death carved in, let in letters on stone came with such glory that the Israelites could not gaze at Moses' face because of its glory, which was being brought to an end. Will not the ministry of the Spirit have even more glory? For if there was glory in the ministry of condemnation, the ministry of righteousness must far exceed it in glory. Indeed, in this case, what once had glory has come to have no glory at all because of the glory that surpasses it. For if what was being brought to an end came with glory, much more will what is permanent have glory. Since we have such a hope, we are very bold. Not like Moses, who would put a veil over his face so that the Israelites might not gaze at the outcome of what was being brought to an end. But their minds were hardened. For to this day, when they read the old covenant, that same veil remains unlifted because only through Christ it is taken away. 
Amen. Thank you. Hello, church. Praise the Lord. <laughs> Strange that God will lay this message in my heart for months. And the message didn't come altogether, but every night I would go to bed and I'm up middle of the night and they will turn this message on time and again, time and again. It was, it's like a drip feed. Uh, but finally, um, Pastor Rod asked me to re, um, share the message today. It was like a, an opportunity to share this message. I'm very thankful. Um, so I also wanted to find out, um, I wanted to tell you, we always um, hear about Pharisees. Pharisees, Sadducees, and uh, we read in the scriptures always. But I just wanted to find out who they are and what they were and what their beliefs were. So I'm going to share it with you uh, before I go into the thing. Uh, the Pharisees were first uh, uh, recorded in the um, year um, 587 B.C. till 536 B.C. Uh, they were a social group when Israelites were uh, in exile for, uh, in Babylon. Um, and that's where their origins. Uh, they were very rich, uh, uh, legalistic, very uh, rigid in pursuing the uh, law. And also they carried on till um, 285 BC, about 300 BC. And by then, they were very well, very well established as a, a religious sect. Uh, you can see what was started as a social group and three, 300 years, three centuries down, and they've become a, a, a strong, very powerful, very influential uh, peop uh, uh, people group in Israel. And uh, they were also uh, they were also representing a political, religious, social, uh, middle and upper middle class um, sector of the society. Uh, they were often businessmen. They were not priests, however. Uh, they knew the law inside out very well. They were so rigid in following it. Um, and they also believed in the uh, oral tradition of the um, authority of the, uh, on the oral tradition of their people. They were very religious, very strict in obeying the Old Testament. And they kept the Sabbath very strict. So this was, this was their basic background. I mean, I can go on for um, more, but I just want to give you just a snapshot who they were. And uh, amongst their beliefs are the following. They believed in, they believed in, uh, in the resurrection of souls and eternal life. They believed in human freedom over dest uh, destiny. Also, they believed in punishment and reward of the eternal, of the eternal. They believed in heaven and hell. Resurrection is understood as the passage to eternity. They believed in obedience to their traditions such as uh, rites, uh, ceremonies, prayers, and others. And they accepted divorce. So it seems like uh, very much on course uh, but what we believe, the scriptures. Uh, but what was the struggle always with Jesus? 
And the Pharisees always harassing him. Everywhere he goes, they were always following him, trying to trap him with something uh, and trying to make him something do wrong. Uh, so let's see about his, what, what, what were their struggles with Jesus, Jesus' ministry. They criticized Jesus for not following the uh, law as they did. They said Jesus did not keep the Sabbath because Jesus was healing people on Sabbath and he was doing good things through the spirit and power of God. And they, didn't, they did not like it. They complained Jesus spent time with sinners and tax collectors and they hated it because they will not have anything to do with such as sinners and considered as sinners and tax collectors um, because they were an outcast for them. They will not con uh, congregate among themselves or have to do anything with them. Uh, they also accused um, false, uh, falsely of Jesus casting out demons through demon powers. We know that. Um, so whatever Jesus did that was righteous in the, uh, in the sight of God, they were always criticizing him. And then in turn we see uh, what was Jesus, what was the uh, view of uh, Jesus' view of, of Pharisees? What did he not like about them? Though they were, looked righteous, they followed the Torah, uh, they followed the books of uh, uh, the prophets, uh, they knew the word very well. So Jesus' struggles were, uh, the Pharisees knew the scriptures very well, yet with their hearts, uh, yet their hearts were far from it. They added oral law to the written law. That was one thing Jesus hated them, because that was diversing the course of the truth, the course of truth, by adding or removing it. Uh, they became a stumbling block for people to enter the kingdom of God, because they were presenting the kingdom of God with the word of God. Uh, they speak the language of the kingdom, but they were not practicing any of that in the background. They were loading it on other people, basically. And also Jesus hated their business acumens. They loved money. Uh, they were often um, in charge of the temple courts. They have influence all around, uh, particularly where they change the money and etc. cetera, uh, money exchange uh, centers like Bureau de Change. They were in, in charge of all of those things where they um, unrighteously charge people when they come from outside Israel to the temple. So this was the background, the struggle with Jesus and uh, Pharisees. Let me understand a little bit why they were antagonistic towards Jesus. But the struggle didn't start um, on John 8. It was already um, uh, aggravated. They were aggravated by Jesus already, the previous chapter, chapter 7. And you can read it later on if you want to do a bit of homework. Uh, the day before was the last day of um, Feast of Tabernacles. So everybody goes to the Feast of Tabernacles, to the temple, to celebrate. Um, on that last day, and the great day of Feast of Tabernacle, the high priest will have a, um, let's say, a jar of water, and the this water from uh, Pool of Silo is considered as uh, living water, and he will pour it over in the sign of saying that the Messiah is going to come as a sign 
that he's going to come and give living water. But Jesus has been warned already by his brothers not to, be, uh, not to come to the temple because he was banned in, do, uh, in preaching the word and doing any signs and wonders or teaching the word because the Jews didn't like it. The Pharisees tried to ban him everywhere in Judea. So they wanted to kill him in Judea. So being warned by his brothers, uh, Jesus still come to the temple on that day. And out of the blue, Jesus, before the, when the, the whole congregation was quiet, and just Jesus broke silence, and he said, he stood up and said, let anyone who thirsts come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as scriptures has said, rivers of living water will follow within them. At this, they were so angry, the high priest was so hungry, angry, and the Pharisees were so angry, and they wanted to seize him and uh, do what they wanted to do. But Jesus, anyway, he moves on with the people. He get away from the crowd because uh, it was not time for Jesus to be crucified. So that's where the, the struggle started. But the following day, Jesus was teaching, and the whole night he spends time with the, with the Lord, with his father in the Mount of Olives. And then the morning he comes down and he comes to temple court and he finds a group of people he began to teach. And uh, when he began to teach, the Pharisees saw the opportunity to grab him again. So they bring a woman and uh, accusing him, uh, accusing her of uh, she has committed adultery and she's been caught up in the, in the act of adultery. But the, is it, it is an interesting case because uh, Book of Deuteronomy, chapter 22, is summarized um, for, the Jew, uh, for the Jewish law how to handle um, a similar situation like this when people are caught in adultery. Uh, but what they are presenting here to Jesus, it does not fit into any of the categories there. There's no law they can present a woman alone for adultery. It has always been with man. But there is a procedure, they, they can present a man for adultery alone. Single-handedly, they can try a man, uh, but not a woman. So it's, it's already a controversial case. They are trying to prote uh, pre prote uh, present to Jesus. Secondly, when they have uh, similar situations, they have to go to the high priest, and those uh, accused have to be tried in the presence of high priest, and also in the presence of 70 and one uh, members of the council there. So none of these procedures were not there. It was just very rough, and they just wanted to bring rough justice. But as the scripture says, it is all in uh, mind with, uh, to frame him, making him to make a, uh, make a mistake so they can seize him and crucify him because they wanted to get rid of him. They, he was a threat to their business, day-to-day -day business. And besides, they thought he was doing everything, unclean things, and uh, he's not following the law properly, and uh, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but Jesus still take on the case. Uh, he could have said, yeah, why don't you go to your high priest? But you know, he's the heavenly high priest. And... Uh, uh, book of uh, Hebrews says he's the heavenly high priest and forever. Uh, and he takes on the case 
Uh, and they will keep demanding uh, at Jesus, as the scripture says. Um, so if he were to uh, let the woman go free, then he, they will say, uh, oh, you are not honoring uh, the uh, Mosaic law. And there's a reason for him to seize him. Uh, if, they, if they say, no, she, she has sinned, and if he stoned her, give her the verdict to, yes, she should be punished. Uh, and a single woman cannot be punished for adultery. And on top of that, Romans have, not uh, too long ago, Roman law, they, they have abolished capital punishment all over their regions and their frontiers. So either way, he's going to get into trouble. So you can see the, the underlying uh, tension, what they were trying to bring. Uh, but at, when they asked, keep, kept on asking, what is your verdict? What do you say about her? What's your judgment? Uh, when they pressed on, Jesus began to write something on the floor, on the, on the ground. And they were kept asking him. Uh, so verse 7, he says, when they were kept asking at him, uh, after he written something on the, on the ground, he said, let him who is without sin among you be, be the first to throw a stone at her. And then he stooped down and began to carry on writing on the, on the ground. But he, the reason I'm giving you all of these things, we read the scriptures, but the Holy Spirit writes the scriptures very efficiently. He doesn't give you very detailed, lengthy information. But it is for us to know what happened. So until this day, they say, where Jesus... Um, uh, uh, met with his people and it was uh, the Pharisees seized him. It was the eastern gate, they say. Uh, the sin gate, it was known as. It's all laid out with big boulders. There's no sand. Uh, it's all hard rock. And, uh, and you must use your imagination a little bit. We must use our imagination a little bit to know how could he have written on the, on the, on the hard stone. And it, the Bible says he wrote with his finger. Uh, so I tried to understand how he could have written on the ground on the hard stone so I have some uh, conjectures I, I thought about it and I prayed about it but this is not written in the Bible but it's just for our illustration, for, illustration purpose only um, it's not part of the Bible uh, so you know Jesus uh, has the supernatural powers and he can do anything anywhere and besides um, writing with his finger is not a strange thing for God in Babylonia, in when Belshazzar's um, chambers, inner chambers, he, he wrote uh, something on the wall. Your days are numbered. So he has a habit of writing with his fingers, whether on the wall or on the hard stone, uh, or on pe people's hearts he can write, wherever he chooses to write. Uh, so it's not a strange thing for Jesus. So he was writing stuff. We don't know what he has written there. But uh, when he began to write again, they started to slip away those noisy crowd, uh, angry crowd, one by one they started to slip away. Uh, I can only say uh, this, what it could have, um, this is what it could have happened there, what may have happened there. He was writing people's names and he was writing their records, report card, their whole life report card. He's kept on writing but he's only, eliminating, uh, he's only eliminating each one's um, 
sins and their names. So they explain their names. It's just like a laser uh, rays. Yeah, they just suddenly my name appears, all my sins, everything. But they don't know that he's only revealing to the respective person. Not everyone's seeing it. But when they see it, they think others also seeing, and they begin to slip away one by one until no one's standing there. And so you can see this is what I, I'm saying. This is uh, what could have happened there that day. But also they, they have no way of seeing his glory because Paul says in the Second Corinthians chapter 3, verse 7 to 14, they couldn't have possibly seen him, his glory and his majesty uh, because Jesus didn't want to reveal to them somehow. Although he was so full of glory, in glory and glorious and majestic. And and then uh, Paul writes it to say that the law that they hold on to and reading, uh, when it came, it came with Shekinah glory, though it was fading away, though it was temporal, because the law was only given for a season for them. It is not for them to hold on to it forever because the law cannot bring life. Law always brought death. No one, can, no one can fulfill the law. Whoever lives by the law will be under sin, will be condemned eternally. So Paul uh, draws an interesting comparison there. Remember Paul was a Pharisee of Pharisees and this God uses a Pharisee to write that that the law that he held it so dearly. Um, so uh, Paul says uh, in, the, in, the, in the scripture, Second uh, Corinthians chapter 3, uh, if the ministry of death came with so much glory, though it was fading, how much more the ministry of spirit will bring? And it's everlasting, it's unending. And they had no way of seeing it because as Paul says, they were holding on to this uh, um, fading glory and that has no life in it. And also, uh, it, became a, it made their minds dull and it became a veil to, their, veil to them. They couldn't see it as they saw when Moses came from the, uh, the mountain with the law and they couldn't see, see his face. So they had to see through a uh, a veil. So that the same veil they, until this, this day they were uh, wearing it. That's what Paul was saying there. Uh, so they couldn't see him anyway in that uh, thing. Though they were so close to, to their Savior, though they were so near, and when Jesus said, um, let him be the first to cast the stone, he, he who has no sin, he's also indirectly, he was also giving them an opportunity to repent. They knew they were sinners. They knew they were loading on other people, the law and uh, exercise, they have all the external um, powers and ex um, uh, activities. But they couldn't see it because of the veil. And they turned their backs on him. Uh, so, on the contrary, um, the woman who was standing there but then again, you must understand, Jesus knew the Pharisees were right. She, they, they, their claim was right. And the woman, uh, woman has 
uh, committed this sin. Um, and then come to the woman, when he comes to the woman and he says he had so much compassion because she was standing there, she's crying, um, death was hanging around her neck. And she's so bruised, she was so uh, emotionally scarred, she's so uh, psychologically scar scarred, um, and she doesn't know where to turn. And she was crying, if there's, if there, is there any mercy for me? Is there any mercy for me? Is there any mercy for me? I believe I can, that's all I can think. She's still waiting upon him. And then why should she, why should she um, wait upon Jesus? She, the Bible doesn't say that she knew him in any way. She didn't have any, any acquaintance with him. Except Jesus reveals to her who he is. Um, he, choose, he chooses to reveal to her because she's waiting upon him. And this is the conjecture number two. And the Bible doesn't say what happened there, the divine exchange. So I just wanted to, to understand this is how it may have happened. Uh, while she was waiting there and um, Jesus was de dealing with the Pharisees, at the same time, he... He, he reveals to her in a vision. And in that vision, he's telling her who he is. He's sharing with her his um, birth, his life, his suffering, he's going to um, encounter, because remember, Jesus still hasn't gone to the cross. And then his crucifixion, his resurrection, his ascension. And we call it, this is a gospel. So basically, Jesus was sharing with her the gospel, revealing to her, like a, you're watching a, a film, Jesus' film, The Passion of Christ, like on the, on the, on the, on the screen. Which is only a conjecture. It's only a suggestion. I'm, saying this, I'm not saying this is what had, had happened, but this is how I see. Um, uh, having seen the, 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 who Jesus is, and she's so sorry, she would have felt so sorry and asking for forgiveness. And you know, whomever asks forgiveness at Jesus, and he will always forgive, no matter what, no matter how far, no matter how deep, no matter how bad you have done. And he's able to set you free, just like that woman. And he's the only one who can forgive sin because he's the savior, he's the redeemer. He's the one who is able to carry our uh, sins and our iniquities. And he died on the cross. And he says to her, don't worry, it's on me. Jesus, I think Jesus would have said to her, it's on me. And that's what he is. And she, and she was standing there naked, spiritually naked. And Jesus, the, the moment she accepts him as his personal savior and a redeemer, he clothes her with a garment of righteousness. Those Pharisees and Sadducees cannot come, come near her anymore because she, she's clothed with righteousness. 
and she's able to live a life of holy that which she couldn't do before. And remember, just like her, and you and I, everybody, he has forgiven us at some point. We were walking in the dark, and he has given us light. He has brought us to the light. And also, for every, uh, every human being ever existed on earth, uh, when he created, he put three things in, in us, um, body, mind, and spirit, or body, soul, and spirit. The spirit part is eternal. It cannot be uh, destroyed. But the, because of its eternal, it has to spend uh, its time uh, somewhere permanent. Eternal, it's eternal. So she, ha she had the opportunity, now all of us have an uh, opportunity to uh, spend the eternity with Jesus or away from Jesus. Is a three area, two places that we, the eternity could be sent, spent, but she she chooses well. She chose well. She chose well to be with Jesus, and live closer to Jesus. And we know from the scriptures, he had not condemned her a sin, neither did he condone her a sin but he restored her because that's what Jesus do. That's what he does. He always restores the sinner as long as they turn to him. Unlike those Pharisees, they turned away. Though they had the opportunity to turn to him, and Paul says in the same scripture we read this, 2 Corinthians 3, in him that veil is taken away. Only in Jesus the veil is taken away. And I don't know what veils everybody has. Even in the church, as believers, we are growing. Remember, the work is not completed. We are still at work in progress. I myself too. And as a church, and we need to see, always reflect, if you're wearing a veil, always. And this could come in, for the Pharisees, it was the, uh, the law, kept them as a veil, but it comes in different shapes and forms. Ideas, mindsets, perceptions, uh, concepts, uh, techniques, uh, perception about other people, of ourselves, thoughts, thought patterns, uh, trends, um, it goes on. But none of these uh, can set us free. I mean, if they come as a veil and we cannot see the glory of Christ, we cannot see, be with him, but he has to be the center. He has to be the focus point always for us. Um, so at the, at the closing of this message, I'd like to um, give a little opportunity for anyone who's here and you heard this message how, uh, in the scriptures how God led, the, uh, led her and uh, led her to uh, eternal life. And he, and he forgave her and he said to her, in the end, uh, verse 10, 
Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? She said, no one, Lord. Jesus said, to, uh, Jesus said, and Jesus said, neither do I condemn you. Go and from now, sin no more. Amen? So, he, he, sent, he freely let her go home. But also he warns her not to sin again. So, Jesus was not letting a, a sinner who committed adultery uh, off the hook. Okay, you're forgiven, just go and live well, and do whatever you want to do because you're forgiven. And he gives her grace to live, I believe he gives her grace to live a holy life. Remember she was uh, clothed with a garment of righteousness like you and I. And this is what Jesus does. He forgives us and he enables us to live a life of grace. That's what grace does to us. Grace enables us to do the, the difficult things the things that we struggle with, sins, yes, the thoughts, um, bad thoughts. And grace helps us to uh, overcome that. That is, I, I believe that is the primary function of grace, being able to do that which I couldn't do before. If I slip away, slip away, it'll just bring me back again. But keeping me on the course, always, always keeping me on the course. This is the function of grace. So Jesus did not uh, let a, a sinful woman, a woman to go, be free uh, and let her off the hook. And he brings her back to life, uh, uh, the natural life. The death has been taken away from her. But also, he, more importantly, he gives her eternal life, uh, that she will be with Christ forever. And at this point, I'd like to ask the, uh, the church, is there anyone would like to receive what she received that day on the scriptures. And if you ask Jesus um, for forgiveness of your sins, he will, always, he will always forgive you. Always he will forgive you. He will never turn you back in shame. Can I ask every head bowed, every, every eye closed, so if anyone amongst us here wants to accept Christ, you say, yes, Lord, that's me. I want you, Lord. I want you to be my personal savior and my Lord and my personal savior. Will you put your hand up, please? Are you able to put your hand up if you are here? You may be frightened. I know this process is very frightening. You don't know what you're going into. Don't be frightened. You'll be doing the right thing. If you, st if you put your hand up and count yourself to be a child of God, it's the right thing you could ever do. It's the best thing you would have done in your life. Thank you, brother. Father, thank you, Lord, Father, for this time and message. I presented what you laid in my heart, Lord. And I pray, Lord, Father, you will bless the people here. Bless your church, Lord. Bless every one of us, Lord, Father. 
Set us free, Lord Father, that we will always uphold you as a Savior, as a glorious one. And there will be none besides you, Lord Father. Let there be no hindrances, Lord Father, following you all our lives. And give us the passion to burn for you, Lord, for your gospel, for your kingdom, Lord, for your church. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.